Well, hello and good evening. Um, you know, when I, when I come to a place, I usually start by saying how nice it is to be with you all. But let me just say, it's really, really nice to finally be together. Um, Susie and I were talking um, today. We were trying to decide when we first made um, contact with each other. And we think it was um, back in 2019. So tonight has been in the works for at least two years. Um, we were hoping, expecting, thinking it would be last October that we would be able to be together. And in God's providence, it was not. It was this October. So if you all had come last October, you would have been like a year early. So it is very, very good um, to be together tonight. And, and I can't say that, you know, I knowing all that has happened between when we first started talking about what we would do together and then finally in this moment, I can't help but think that God has things planned. I mean, he has things planned, obviously, but that we come with a, a higher level of expectation. Um, I know if there's something that really has been pressed upon me in the last 18 months, it's how much we don't control, um, the limits of what we can do, the fragility of life, uh, the weight, how quickly things can change. So there is a preciousness when we come together knowing that in all of these things, this moment has been ordained. All the things that we thought we used to be able to plan, um, you know, we've had this giant object lesson of James saying, you say you're going to go over here and do this and that in that city, when you should say we will do this if the Lord wills. And so when you do do something, the Lord wills. And so the Lord wills that we would be together tonight in his word at this moment, not last year, but tonight. Um, so I come with a, a level of hope and expectation that as we uh, move to the word together, that there will be something that meets you in this moment tonight that um, will be God's will for you tonight. But I also come knowing that the last 18 months have really caused us all to be carrying extra weight. Um, I, was, I was talking with a friend recently and we all just kept saying, I'm so tired. I just feel tired all the time. And it's not that normal tired of you're running around and you're doing too much. It's just this kind of accumulated fatigue, this sense of, okay, we're back to things, but not really. Like our schedules are picking up, but I, I've found at least among my friends, this sense of Yay, our schedules are picking up. And, and we are happy to be together again, but we also are just carrying this level of fatigue. Um, and it makes me think, I, I do come from um, the Blue Ridge Mountains. My husband grew up there. I grew up south of Pittsburgh. It was similar rural area, mountain area there, but he grew up Virginia Mountains. And we moved back there about nine or 10 years ago um, to an area where he was more familiar with. And we worked for a long time in rural churches. And one of the songs we sang was um, Precious Lord. I don't know if any of you know that. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. This is the line. This is the line I'm getting to. 
I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Precious Lord, take my hand. And the thing I love about that line is it's just so true and honest. It just says our condition. Um, There's no pretense. There's no performance. There's a coming to Jesus and saying, I can't do this anymore. I have reached the end of myself, and I need you to take my hand. And so as we come tonight, I just want to acknowledge that there's a lot that we didn't see coming, you know, in the last 18 months or so. And even some of the stuff that I studied to write Humble Roots, which is um, where a lot of our conversation tonight and tomorrow are going to be coming from, um, that was 2016 maybe, so a good five years ago. I had no idea. I had no idea the, the weight of what I had studied back then and how I would need to draw on it for this season. Um, I kind of look back. I don't know if you ever do this. You look back at your former self in a moment and you just think, oh, you sweet, 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 naive thing. <laughs> you thought that was hard? Oh. But I do know that the truth that is um, in the scripture is timeless. And so no matter how we're experiencing life, no matter if it's a particularly difficult season for us individually or as we've gone through collectively a very difficult season, that the truth of Scripture is what carries us through. And we can always come to the stable foundation of Jesus Christ and His Word. So that's what we're going to do this weekend. We're going to come to the stable foundation. We're going to find our stability in the truth that Jesus Christ is the source of our rest and that he's trying to do something inside of us to bring rest to us. We're going to be this weekend kind of anchoring ourselves in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. So go ahead and um, open your text, your Bible, if you have it with you. And I just want to give you a word on the way I teach. I tend to be a, a big picture teacher, so we're going to get a lot out of about three verses. But what I'm going to do is kind of pull on your knowledge, kind of pull you from other places of the Scripture as well, and remind you of all the other things that you know to be true about Jesus, and then we'll try to bring them together um, within this passage. Let's go ahead and read it together. Um, I'll read and you follow along. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, When we come to a text of Scripture, you know, we want to make sure that we understand that it is speaking to us, that the Holy Spirit is teaching us directly from it, but we also want to know the kind of context around um, which it was originally spoken. And as you know, this was within Christ's ministry, and he was teaching the people. And as I was preparing for this, I began to wonder what kinds of things would those people have been facing? 
what kinds of burdens and things that would, would they have been dealing with within their context. And I started thinking about that, and I, I thought, oh, well, they had a lot of political upheaval and fragmentation and social discord that they had as a nation at this time were being subjugated by the Romans, but even amongst themselves as a Jewish people, they had a lot of different ways how they thought you should respond to that. So there was a lot of polarization and fragmentation even there. And then I was thinking about how this moment for us, um, is particularly through the last 18 months, kind of took us all off guard that you could have sickness that would run through a community and be so um, pervasive and at the same time stop so many things. And then I thought, oh, right, modern medicine. We're not used to this because God has given us so many blessings in how we care for ourselves and the, the, the kind of ways we can heal ourselves. And yet, sickness and disease and death would have been tremendously common. They would have lost people regularly. And that's part of why Jesus' healing ministry was so significant, because it was normal for people to be sick and dying. It wasn't an aberration as we might have it today. And I, and I started thinking about how many ways that the human condition, even if this is set within um, you know, the ancient world where, where Christ is teaching, at the end of the day, we are all kind of facing the same weight and burdens. Now, I think we have had kind of a comeuppance in the last few years. We maybe have, as a society, been very confident in ourselves, and we have been somewhat humbled to recognize how vulnerable we are, not only within our bodies, but even within our society, how weak the links between us are sometimes. And so when we come to this text, I think it is very easy for us to understand that as much as our lives are marked by chaos, this is the human condition. This is what is normal in a broken world, that we are marked by chaos, that there is brokenness all around us, and it is actually the odd thing not to experience it. It is unusual to have this kind of life that we so often enjoy. We are heavy laden. We are burdened down. And so we may feel it more acutely, but this is a call that Christ is making to all people. It's not just in this moment you feel about, this is what your life is apart from me. So come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened heavy laden. I will give you rest. But here's the funny thing about the human condition. We are overwhelmed. We, our lives are mar marked by chaos, but we also are very good about finding coping techniques, right? And, and this is, you know, God-given in its own way, but there's a resiliency that's temporary where we go to find ways to deal with the chaos we find ways to alleviate the burden, if only temporarily. So we often turn to other things to help us cope when life becomes overwhelming. You know, we were limited in what we could turn to in the last 18 months in some ways. We, we couldn't really take escape trips, right? Because that's what we do um, when we 
find life overwhelming. We just want to wait for the weekend or we're going to get away somewhere. If I could just have a weekend trip. Well, that was kind of taken from us to a degree. But we also do things like um, this was something that wasn't taken from us. And I, I think maybe a lot of us took advantage of it. You know, uh, we could do a lot of online shopping, right? You know, I, I hate to say it, but it's true. The, the Amazon button in my house gets clicked far more than it should. And there's this instantaneous sense of this will bring me relief. If I can just get this thing, this will kind of bring some, it will bring me a new little high, right? It will kind of solve and distract me for a little bit. So sometimes we just will accumulate things as a way to dull the chaos and dull the pain. Sometimes, you know, we'll use um, substances, you know, maybe food or alcohol or something that will just distract us and dull what's really going on. I think sometimes, too, that, that we will look to other people. We will look to other people to be our savior, whether it's leaders or experts or even relationships within our life, that, that this person can rescue me from all that I am dealing with, and I need someone to lead me out. Now, I want to be clear that none of these things are wrong, right? God has given us good gifts. He has given us things to enjoy and to know his goodness. He has given us relationships, community, friendship. He has given us good rest, times to get away. But if we look to these things to alleviate that pain, to alleviate that burden, they can't do it. We're asking them to do more than God made them to do. And so soon enough, the vacation will end. The new purse becomes an old purse and needs to be replaced by a new purse. We'll be dissatisfied with our relationships. People will disappoint us. We'll have regret from the choices we made to consume. And what had coped, what had helped us cope temporarily, becomes an artificial substitute for the real lasting peace that we long for. And so what we're doing is we're just anesthetizing ourselves. We're just dulling the pain long enough to get through to the next day. And so this call to come to me is a call to come away from those other things. So when Jesus invites us to come to him, it's not just come be with me, come spend a little time with me. He is putting himself forward as the source of our rest. This is an amazing thing that he is saying to these people. You come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. I almost hear it in the voice. It is an invitation, but it's a command too, right? It's an imperative. And I almost hear it in the voice of a mother who may have a son or a child who is not doing what they should do. And you say, come here, come here. And then you say, come, come now. And you say, come to me. Come to me now. And obviously, Christ is extending this invitation, but it is an imperative. And it is a singular imperative. He is not saying, come with me, come spend time with me, and then get your fill and go away. It's come to me. Leave all of these other things. Come to me me. And I think we hear that, and it's a little striking. And, and the question I have is, for all we know about Jesus, 
And as beautiful as we believe him to be, and as much as we sing, give me Jesus, why don't we come? Why is it so difficult for us to come to Jesus when our souls are burdened down and weighed down? Why do we go to these other things? We know they won't last. We have enough experience with it to know that it's temporary and we'll just need to get the next hit. So, so what keeps us from answering this invitation? And I think what keeps us from answering it is actually in verse 29. Because Christ issues this invitation, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's the part that goes on the refrigerator magnet, right? That's the part that goes on the card, the encouragement card. But he doesn't stop there. His invitation to come is bound up in this. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Now, in the context, his hearers would have understood what this meant. The yoke, of course, was that cross piece, that that bar that was placed on the shoulders of the ox that would allow the farmer or the master to guide the ox so the ox could pull a cart or perhaps pull a plow. And the yoke kept the oxen under the control of the master. And so when Jesus says to the people, come to me, here's an invitation, come to me, here's an imperative, come to me, take my yoke upon you. He was saying to them, you're not just going to come to me, you're going to come submit to me. You're going to come and I'm going to be your Lord, and you are going to relinquish your right to wander free. You are going to relinquish your right to go wherever you want to go and make your own choices. You are going to be an ox that is not just wandering the fields the way you want to. You are going to come, and you are going to come under my control. And so I think that's probably what stops us. That is what challenges us, even though we long for this rest that Christ promises us. You see, it's not this vague, spiritualized rest that he's offering us. He is not offering us an emotional lift or another coping mechanism. He is offering to get to the core of the thing that is keeping us restless. He is offering to change us, not necessarily our circumstances, but the way that we are in our circumstances. And to do that, the first thing we must do is give up control. We're giving up the ability to say, I'm in charge, I make my choices, I call the shots. It's interesting, this image of the oxen under the control of the master is there's a parallel image in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 5, 5, the prophet talks about the nation of Israel as an untamed, unruly ox. And this is how he writes, they have broken the yoke. They have burst the bonds. 
that, that they have willfully thrown off the lordship of Yahweh, that they have run amok. So coming to Jesus doesn't just mean coming under his care. It means coming under his authority. He's calling us to be tamed, to give up our wild spirits and our ability to run and be whatever we want. Now, I'm afraid a lot of my illustrations are going to come from the pandemic because that's what we've all been doing for 18 months. But our family did. I don't know if this was a mistake, but we got the pandemic puppy. My son, who I think was 13, 14 at the time, who knows? Time is meaningless anymore. He was, it, this was when school first shut down, and we didn't know what was going on. And he was really struggling to be online. It was just like so many other kids, it was a slog. And he had been asking for a dog for years, and we had been deferring and deferring, and then the stakes were so high, and it was, okay, if you will please just do your work. I mean, we set up a whole reward system. I mean, it was a big deal. And he did. He, he worked through his classwork. He finished. He came through, and he earned his puppy. Puppies are not tame. They are not trained, they are not domesticated, and even puppies who are two years old are still not. And I have in my house this living example of a being that refuses to come under the control of the master and harms himself because of it and gets into all kinds of trouble because of it. And, and so as you think of this, of coming under the yoke, think of it as coming under the taming control of a loving master who will guide you, who will care for you, and lead you in the way that you need to go. But I still wonder about this because I would say most of us would even assent to that. I think you know, women who show up for a women's retreat on a Friday night are women who care deeply about their spiritual lives. They care about their relationship with Christ. And, and I think I would assume that you all would assent to, yes, I, I, I hear you, it's hard, but yes, I want to come under the yoke of Christ. I want to be surrendered to him. But I think what happens sometimes is we can confuse our commitment to Christ with surrender to Christ. And a friend of mine pointed this out in a book she had written where she said she was serving on the mission field, and this was in Southeast Asia, and um, some things happened where they could no longer work where they had been. They had been working kind of undercover, and they had to move into another country. And she said she was very upset by it, very upset. And she found that she kept going to God in prayer saying, look what I was doing for you. I was here. I was committed. I was serving. I was, why is it ending up this way? And a lot of her angst was related to, you are committed to Jesus, 
but are you submitted? Are you surrendered? And those are two different things. And, and we can confuse them because you can look very close to Christ because you have committed to the things that you think you're going to offer him and do for him. And they can be really good things. They can be serving your family, serving the church. It can even be sacrifice. It can even be tremendous sacrifice, like going on the other side of the world. But what happens when God interrupts your plans? How do you respond when he changes the direction that you're plowing? How do you respond when he takes the staff and he nudges you to go in a different direction than you were intending to go? I'm plowing the field here. I've got the yoke on. I'm doing the right thing. Why are you sending me that way? And this is exactly what happened in the Apostle Paul's life, right? He was zealous for God. He was committed to God, so committed that he was finding those people who he believed were blaspheming the name of God. And he was righteous in his zeal, zealous for God. And when he meets Christ on the road to Damascus, do you remember the words that Jesus says to him? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And that is the same image of a yoked oxen. Kicking against the pricks. The pricks is the, the long staff that would have a sharp end that the master would kind of nudge and poke the oxen a certain direction. And if the oxen wasn't tamed well enough, it would kick back. It would be poked to go one direction, and it would kick back, resisting. And this is what God challenged. This was the challenge that the living Christ gave to Paul. You are not submitted to my lordship. He was fervent. He was zealous. He was committed, but he wasn't submitted. But why is that so hard? We, can't, we, we hear this invitation that Jesus is the source of our rest. Come to him. We may even get past that first phrase. We may even make it past, take my yoke upon you. Okay, all right, understand. I'm going to submit. I'm going to be more willing to let God lead and direct me and, and take my life where it needs to go. But we're not done yet. Jesus is not done with us yet because the next thing he says is to learn from me because I am meek and lowly in heart. So coming to Jesus, coming away from other things, coming under his control also includes learning something. It means learning how to be humble. Now, this, this word lowly, different translations translate it different ways. Um, you may see meek and lowly. The second low, that lowly is humble. Um, some translations are lowly and humble in heart. But this is the idea. In Jesus' mind, you're not experiencing rest. Something is chaotic in your life. I want to give you rest. Come to me. Submit to me. Oh, and you need to learn to be humble. 
There's something here in the logic that something about coming to Jesus, coming under his authority, and learning his humility is what is going to give us rest. And so the inverse of that is that we lack rest, we are restless, we are anxious and burdened because we lack humility, and we're operating in pride. In this sense, what needs to be changed is us and our disposition toward our creator. The biggest barrier to us living at peace, living restful lives, is something about the way we're relating to God himself. Now, to understand this, we need to back up a little bit more. Coming to Jesus involves learning humility from him. But we can't always understand this because we don't always think of humility and pride in the categories that the scripture thinks of them. When we say pride, we, we might mean someone who's obviously boastful, right? Someone who swaggers or someone who, when you start talking to them, somehow the conversation always gets turned back to them and what they've done or what their kids have done or something. You know, so that's how we perceive pride. We also perceive pride as maybe um, the person who's deferential. And when you compliment them, you say, they say, oh, praise the Lord. Or they're quiet or introverted and they kind of hang back. Or they never put themselves forward. And that's how we think socially of pride and humility. But that's not what pride and humility mean within the text of scripture. Because what we find is that coming to humility means remembering who is God and who is not God. It means coming back to who God made us to be as creatures dependent on him. Not people who can operate in our own strength. Not people who can go about our business without him. You see, we were made from the very beginning dependent on God. To be an image bearer of God means that we cannot live out the life that he has called us to apart from him. There is something inherent in our very existence that is dependent upon him. But pride tells us we can be independent. And this is exactly what happens in Genesis 3, right? The temptation of the garden, the temptation of the tree of knowledge and good and evil was that you would be like God. The temptation was you can live apart from him. You can be independent. You won't need him. And so the temptation of pride was to reject dependency, to reject the limits that God had placed on us and try to rise above them. But when we do this, it crushes us because we were never intended. We were never created to live that way. And so as we begin to lift ourselves up, to believe that we are more powerful than we actually are, rely on our own strength, to believe that we are more intelligent than we actually are, 
more efficient than we actually are. Slowly but surely, we replace God's unique transcendence with ourselves. God is the only one who is omnipotent. God is the only one who is omniscient. God is the only one who is timeless, not us. Now, this is all very abstract, so I want to bring it down for you. When we take on ourselves more than God has called us to, or we can possibly do, it will overextend us, it will stretch us and crush us in a very literal sense. Here's one way that this was working out for me in my life. And the Holy Spirit really just kind of put a finger on that and said, you want to know where your anxiousness and your restlessness is coming from? It's your pride. I would regularly book out my schedule so that it took no consideration of my limitations or the brokenness of the world. So if I book out my schedule to say, I can get from this thing to this thing to this thing to this thing all throughout the day and take no consideration that I have limited capacity, limited energy. Hey, I've got the time blocks. I might as well just put something in those time blocks, right? And also not put any kind of margin within that time block because we all live in a broken world and you know getting from point A to point B doesn't happen the way Google Maps says it's going to happen. When we do that, there is an assumption underneath that. And the assumption is, I can do this. The assumption is, I can seamlessly go through this, have all the energy I need, I don't need any margin because I can do this. I can power through. And so what has happened in that decision is that my sense of strength and power has made that decision. And that overinflated sense of what I am able to do and what I am not able to do, I have very much, I very truly replaced God in my life. And I've taken over that rather than saying, God, what would you have for this schedule today? Rather than coming under the yoke and submitting to the master and saying, what should my week look like? How do I prayerfully take this to the Father and say, what is it that you're calling me to do? I just book myself out. And then I wonder why I'm tired and restless and anxious at the end of the day and the end of the week. You see, when we come back to Jesus, when we come back to him, we are learning something about humility because we are seeing face-to-face -face our limits as a creature. When we look at Jesus in the face, we are seeing the Father, and we are seeing all the ways that we can never compare with that. And so there, there's philosopher, theologian, Diedrich von Hildebrand. He put it this way. It is when you encounter a personal God, Jesus Christ, that you become fully aware of your condition as a creature. When you look God face to face, you recognize all the ways that you don't measure up. And that flings from us the last particle of self-glory. When we look Jesus in the face, we see the Father, and we are reminded of who he is and who we are. And humility then is knowing who we are as created being dependent on God, living in proper reverence, and submission on him. Proverbs calls it the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom. And that word fear is proper reverence for God. It is not confusing who is God and who is the image bearer. Who is God? Who is the created being? And what is beautiful about this is that when we come to Jesus, we see the Father, but we also see the Son incarnated. Because what did Jesus do except take on all the limits of our human flesh? And that's why in Philippians 2, this is how Paul speaks about it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the same call. Jesus in Matthew says, come learn from me. Learn something about how I move through the world. I move through the world in meekness and humility. And Philippians 2 tells us what that humility is. It says that we would have this mind, that we would do nothing out of selfishness or ambition or vainglory, but in humility. And then it goes into that beautiful hymn that shows what Christ's humility looked like. What was Christ's humility except this? Who existed in the form of God, did not consider it something to be grasped, be equal with God but made himself nothing. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of human flesh. When he had become a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient. He was surrendered and submitted to the Father, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And you see, we See in Jesus Christ then what we are called to do as well, to live in the limits of the bodies that God has given us, but not only to live in the limits, to be obedient to the Father. But he's not just an example. It was his incarnation. It was his obedience to death in taking on flesh, in taking on the yoke, that he makes us partakers with God himself. It is through the death of Christ that he heals our human condition, that he restores to us the dependency and the grace that we should have been living in from the beginning. He is the second Adam, not the first who rose up in pride and threw off the yoke, but he is the second Adam living in full obedience and submission to the Father. And it is through him and his humility that we have true rest. It is through him and his humility that we have peace with God, that we are offered peace with others. We are offered peace within ourselves. And so when we come to the call of Jesus in Matthew 11, when he says, come to me, he is calling us to all of this. He's calling us to come away from all the other things that we think will give us rest. He's calling us to transformation. He's calling us to be changed. And we will be changed by submission to the Father. We will be changed by remembering that he is God and we are not. And in humble submission, we will be healed. Because at the end of the day, this world is not going to be fixed. The problems that you came in with will still be problems when you leave. 
There are so many things that we are unequal to in this world that will surprise us and overwhelm us. And if we are waiting on our circumstances to suddenly be at peace until we can have peace, it won't happen. And so instead of fixing our circumstances, the call is to fix us, to change us in the midst of our circumstances. So that as Christ calls us in John 15 that we would abide in him because we know that apart from him, we can do nothing. And that is the essence of humility. And that is the essence of the rest that he is calling us to, to live in that truth, that independence and submission are rest, active submission of our choices, our lives, our schedules, our relationships, our work, offering it up to him, saying, you do with this as you will. You are the master. I give you control. And coming to him and relinquishing that is the way to rest. Come unto me, Jesus calls to us, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so much of our anxiousness, so much of our lack of peace is fighting against you and fighting against the lives that you have given I ask that as we come to Jesus, we will know his care. We will know his love for us. But Lord, I ask that we will also be changed, that we will find freedom in surrender to you, that we will find rest in humility, that learning the limits that you have placed on us will be good and rich and a blessing for us. And depending on you as God, to fulfill all those things that you have promised for us, that learning to live here, we will find the rest that you have promised. And we ask this all in Christ's name, amen.